We are beginning a new series on Sunday mornings that we'll be in for the next couple of months. The book of James in the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 1 this morning. One of the things that makes James and the book of James unique, it's one of only two books in the Bible written by family members of Jesus. James was one of the sons of Joseph and Mary that came along after Jesus. So here's a book written by a man that literally grew up with Jesus as his brother. How do you like that? And yet, even in the very first verse, we have one of the most powerful testimonies to Jesus Christ from this man. Because notice what he says in verse 1. He says, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he addresses Jewish Christians scattered throughout the world. He's putting Jesus and God as equals on the same level. And he's saying that basically Jesus Christ, my brother that I grew up with in the home of Joseph and Mary with my other brothers and sisters, he's God. Let me ask you, would any of your family members mistake you for God? Can I tell you, five minutes with me and my friend, no, he's not God. And yet James lived throughout his childhood and teenage years. He lived with this man, Jesus. And he said, I never saw anything in him. I never heard anything out of him that would make me think he's not who he claims to be, that he's not God. So what a testimony to Jesus right off the bat. But there's a unifying principle in the book of James. Uh, many people, when they approach the book of James, find it hard to find sort of a common theme because James, in some ways, is sort of like the New Testament book of Proverbs. It's all these great little principles, like every verse has like a, a great principle to live by, and it's like it's hard to figure out how it all fits together. But after looking at this and reading it and studying it over and over for years, I feel like the unifying principle is found actually in the verse 3 of chapter 1. It's the phrase, the testing of your faith. I believe that everything James is going to talk to us about in these five chapters deals with different tests of our faith. That our faith in God is going to be tested by different things. That's why it's important that you and I have strong faith. Faith is really our spiritual convictions, strong spiritual convictions that you and I have personally developed over the years through our own walking with God, through the Holy Spirit being in our lives, through his word, through our worship, through our prayers and all of that. It is developing our strong spiritual convictions. That's what faith is. And it's primarily what we think about God. I mean, certainly that covers other things, spiritual convictions about this and that, but ultimately the foundation of it rests on who do we think and who do we believe our God to be. And that's why faith is really the energizing principle of our life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, which is why the book of Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please God because that's got to be the foundation. Who do we believe our God to be? Well... James comes along then in the first 18 verses of chapter 1, and he wants to talk to us about the first test of our faith. The first test of our faith. 
And the first test that he writes about in these first 18 verses of chapter 1 is trials. And notice what he says in verse 2. He doesn't say if trials come. He says when trials come. Because if you and I are alive on planet Earth, we're going to face trials. But now, look at what James says in verse 2. It's crazy, right? He says, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into various trials. James, are you kidding me? That could be one of the craziest verses in the Bible, right? But here's what James is not saying. He's not saying, consider it all joy because of the, in the trial, I guess, let me say it this way. He's not saying take joy in the trial itself. That's not what he's saying here. The trial itself is not necessarily joyful. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into various trials because you know. It goes back again to what do we know about God and about the way God operates in our life in order that you and I, even in the midst of trials that are going to test our faith and what we believe about God in all of us, what do I know? Well, James says, you know that trials, the testing of our faith and those trials that come to test us are actually profitable and they're actually purposeful. That's what James goes on to say because he says the testing of our faith can produce endurance and then let endurance, verse 4, have its perfect work or its perfect effect in our life bringing us to a place where we're perfect, not sinless, and we'll talk about what that word means later, and then complete. And then he goes on to say, not deficient in anything. In other words, fully equipped as a Christian to handle anything that comes my way in life. So James is saying, here's why you and I as a Christian, even when trials come into our life and our faith is tested, here's why we can count it all joy. Because every trial that you and I go through is never purposeless. It's always purposeful. You know, so many times people go, oh, I, I just feel like I went through that for nothing. Nothing that you and I go through as a child of God is ever purposeless. It is an opportunity for you and I to progress spiritually, to profit from it, which is why he says the testing of our faith can produce endurance can bring us to a, a greater level of spiritual strength and maturity and growth if we allow God to use that trial in our life and to bring us through it. You see, <clears throat> trials can either be looked at as obstacles or we can look at them as opportunities. And James is saying the reason why you and I can count it all joy when we fall into various trials is because we can always come back to what we know. What do we know about God? What do we know about his purposes? And his purpose is that he is saying to us, my child, I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through, but I can use that in your life to make you spiritually stronger. I can use that to give you some spiritual progress and to make you more spiritually mature. I can build a supernatural endurance and perseverance and staying power in your life through that 
trial. If you trust me and if you believe in me and if you have confidence in me, which is what faith is all about, our spiritual convictions about who God is. You see, trials do not have to make us bitter. They can make us better. But it depends on, again, what James says. Where's my faith at in those trials at that moment? Do I fall back when trials come into my life on what I know, especially about God? Do I know? Yeah, I think we do. He assumes a knowledge there of God. Why does he assume that? Because irregardless of what I even know as a Christian about the Bible, I have the Holy Spirit of God as a Christian living inside of me who witnesses to me about the person of God every day because he is God living within me. And that's why then James in verse 2 also says this, very important word. He says, consider, in the Net Bible translation, verse 2, Consider it nothing but joy. Or another translation would say count. It is a very interesting term. It means to lead one's mind to this conclusion. In other words, James is saying you and I, through God, actually have the power to be able to control our thinking, our thought light life and where we go and where our mind goes instead of our mind going here we literally have the power through Christ to direct our mind here you see our mind and our thought life isn't to control us we as Christians are through the power of the Holy Spirit to lead our mind to certain places Amen. which is why the Bible tells us we have the mind of Christ Paul says to the Corinthians Paul says, think on these things, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Set your mind on things above, Colossians 3, 2, not on things on the earth. Over and over again, the Bible tells us we can have the mind of Christ. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says, you and I, through the power of God, can control our thinking and lead our mind to certain conclusions. And James is saying, here's the wonderful thing. When a trial comes, instead of my mind, first of all, going to, why God, why are you allowing this? Or God, this is wrong. Uh, we start to get angry with God. We start to get bitter with God. We start to go to a very unhealthy place. James says, no, I can lead my mind over here and I can look at this trial now, not as an obstacle to me, but as an opportunity of spiritual growth. And I can realize that this trial, though I don't like it, though maybe, you know, I wouldn't have chosen it for myself, I know now that God can get a purpose out of this and the purpose is it can profit me spiritually Amen. based on what I know. That's why if you go over even a little bit later in the chapter to verse 13, a lot of these verses may look disjointed, but actually they flow exactly with what James is talking about here when he starts telling us in verse 13, let no one say when they're tempted, we're tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil, nor can he tempt anyone else with evil, you see. see. He's saying, you and I, when trials come, we can start to have erroneous thoughts about God. We can start to say, well, I'm making bad decisions. I'm compromising. I'm getting to a bad place. My attitude's starting to tank, but I can blame God for it. <laughs> no, no, no. 
God cannot be blamed for that. God gives us a choice in the matter, in the midst of our trials, and we can choose to either have faith and trust and believe in him and the purposes that he can work out through this trial and the profit that he can bring me, or I can allow my thinking and my mind and my thought life to go to a bad place, first of all, about God, thinking that somehow God caused this and God did this and God's after me and God doesn't like me and God doesn't care about me and all of those things. And James saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. The most important thing that you and I can ever think about is our thoughts about God. And we better make sure that we're thinking rightly about God because that's the very foundation of our life. And we, if we start to think that when trials come, somehow God's doing us wrong, then we're wrong thinking about God, and that will affect everything in our life. That's why he goes on to say in verse uh, 16, do not be led astray, my brothers and sisters. Literally, don't be deceived. Don't allow our thinking to, to get rewired somehow to begin to think erroneous things about God and go back to and lead our mind back to what we know about God and what our strong spiritual convictions are about God, which can I say at this point, that's why it's so important as Christians that we don't just stay in that baby Christian stage where we get saved and we never grow, we never progress, because we'll never develop the strong spiritual convictions and truly know who God is, that when trials come, they won't rock our world, you see. We will then go be able to go back to, no, 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 that's not who God is. And he says, so in the midst of the trials, don't let, don't let your mind be led astray to start thinking bad thoughts about God and what he thinks of you and how he cares for you and all of that. Because then he goes on in verse 17 to say, all generous giving and every perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation or even the slightest hint of change. James is declaring, our God, if you know him, there's no one more generous, there's no one more gracious, there's no one more giving. If you and I truly need something, he'll make sure that we have it, including everything that we need to get through the trial and not only to get through it and just get through it, but to actually profit from it and come out the other side even better than what I was before. That's the God of the Bible. Amen. That's the God that James knew. That's the God that James grew up with in his home. That's who he saw in his brother Jesus Christ, was that kind of a God, you see. He's not withholding anything from us. He's not holding out on us, as sometimes we think when we go through trials. And it doesn't just take you back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when we see the strategy of Satan, even when he first met Eve, when she was tempted. Even though they weren't going through a trial, what did Satan try to do? He tried to impugn the character of God. He comes alongside to Eve and goes, I think God's holding out on you, Eve. Because, yeah, maybe he said you can have all this other fruit, but he told you you couldn't have that fruit. He, he's holding out on you. James is like, no, don't go there. There's no one more giving and generous and gracious than God. Anything good that we have in our life only came from him and only will come from him. And if it's not good for us, then it won't come from God, you see. That's why earlier on that, Verse 13 about don't say we're tempted of God and all of that because he says, what's the result? The result is that 
we start being led away by our own fallen nature, our own desires. And where does that get us? James says it gets us to sin and it gets us to death. And God has no part in sin and death. He came to save us from sin and death. He's the cure for sin and death. He's the deliverer of sin and death. But he never causes sin and death. You and I go that road because of our own evil desires that come from within us. So James is saying, what do we think about our God? That's why in verse 18, he says of God's own sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. James is saying, when you think about God, shouldn't we go back to the fact that God could have left us in a terrible state of sin for all of eternity? God, God could have never brought those angels back to guard the Garden of Eden, let Adam and Eve go back and eat from the tree that would basically make them live forever in that state of sin, but it was God who prevented that from happening. It was God who took them out of the garden. It was God who gave them the provision of the clothing. They couldn't do it themselves. They couldn't cover themselves. God had to cover them. And, and it's God all along that made the redemption and, and our salvation and our deliverance and all of that possible, all because of what he did. He could have left us in that state, but he didn't. And so James is reminding us, if God took care of our greatest need, which is our need of salvation, our need of a Savior, our need for this remedy for sin in our life, so that we won't live this way in this miserable state and have an answer for that. If God did that, then can we not trust him for anything and everything else? Amen. And James is saying, we didn't reach out to God. That's why he starts out verse 18 by saying, it was his sovereign plan. It was his will. He initiated it. As John says, we love him because he first loved us. God is the one that did it all for us. So when trials come into our life, James is saying, don't go this way. Lead your mind. Consider it nothing but joy. Lead your mind back here to what you know of your God. And remind yourself over and over again, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he's always had my best interests at heart. He's always done me good. He's never done me bad. So even in this moment where I'm really going through adversity and affliction and I'm suffering and I'm going through a really hard time, that's not God. But God will bring me through it and God will give me everything to get through it and not just to get through it and survive it, but to thrive in it, to get better through it, to be a better person after I go through it than I was before. That's the kind of God. That's why Paul said to the Romans, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. So James starts out there. He says, yes, our faith will be tested. And one of the big tests of our faith as human beings and even of, as Christians is when trials come into our life. And you and I have to make sure that we have a proper perspective and maintain a proper perspective of our spiritual convictions, especially about what we believe and know about God. Otherwise, 
Instead of the trial making me better, like many people, it will make me bitter. I will become angry with God. I will become bitter with God. I will become disillusioned. I will stop going to church. I will stop praying. I will stop reading my Bible. I will stop serving. And every last one of us probably in this room that's been a Christian for a while, we know somebody like that. And maybe that was even us for a while. God did me wrong. And I'm upset. I've shared with many of you, if you've been with me for a number of years, that God gave me the privilege way back in seminary to have a conversation with, at that time, the world's number one atheist. That was his title. His name was Dr. Anthony Flew. He taught at Oxford in England for 30-plus years. He was head of the religion and philosophy department. And as we conversed with Dr. Flew, he basically came to admit that the reason he is in the place he is spiritually with God is because his brother died when he was young. And he got mad at God for God taking his brother from him, and he never got over that. And the anger just continued to sort of build over time to where he finally just said, even if you're out there, I don't want to believe in you. And he rejected God because of that. Many, many people get to that point. It's not really that they really don't believe in God, that they're really an atheist or even an agnostic. Most of the time, if they're honest with you, the reason they've gotten to that point of why they don't believe in God or believe that there is a God or whatever is because they're really, they've got this anger and bitterness against God for something that happened in their life and they're turning it against God. That's why it's so important that we heed the message of James here and that we realize, first of all, our faith is going to be tested in life. You and I, are, it doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, it doesn't matter how mature we are as a Christian, all of that, every season of our life, every year that goes by, some way, somehow, our faith, our convictions in who God is and what God is is going to be tested by something that comes into our life. And we've got a choice at that time. We can either, again, allow that to get us very bitter and angry and disillusioned and all of that and get us to a very unhealthy place spiritually, or we can embrace it and say, God, I don't like what I've got to go through, but I know this. <laughs> I know you well enough to know that nothing ever separates me from your love Amen. and that you're going to love me through this and that you're going to get me through this, and that I'm going to be even better after I go through this with you than I was before. That's the God that I know. Amen. See? But then James goes on to say this. In verse 5, he says, But if any of us are deficient in wisdom, all we have to do is ask of God, and God will generously give us all the wisdom we want, and he'll never reprimand us for asking him for wisdom. So first of all, James says, I've got this knowledge of God based upon my faith, my convictions about who God is. But James also says, even in the midst of a trial, if I feel like I need more wisdom from God, then all I have to do is ask. All I have to do is pray, and God will give me all the wisdom I need. What's wisdom? Wisdom is being able to see things from God's perspective. That's really what wisdom is. Not from my perspective, 
not from other people's perspective, not the world's perspective, but to truly see things from God's perspective, to see things the way they really are, not what I want them to be or not what I'm trying to artificially make them into be. Why is that important? Well, because again, many times in our trials, we don't see the big picture without the wisdom that God gives. All we see is our little world that all of a sudden is really hurting and crumbling around us, and we don't see the big picture. We don't keep eternity in mind. Many times what happens in trials is we begin to shut down and close in, and our world becomes very, very small. And what wisdom from God can do is open up our little world and, and open up our eyes to a bigger, more eternal perspective on things, which, which can really help when we're going through trials. Let me give you an illustration of that that James gives here in this passage. In verse 9, he says, you know what? The believer who has very little in this life as far as material, physical things should take pride in their high position. What's he saying there? He's saying that if I'm a Christian and I really have not been blessed with a lot of material, physical things, James says, but look at your life from this perspective. You occupy the highest place in the universe if you're a Christian. You may not have very much on earth, but one day you're going to be seated at the king's table for all of eternity. One day you're going to experience a glory that never ends. One day the sufferings of this world aren't going to be even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us one day. The Bible says that you and I as Christians are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. James is saying, even though you may not have very much on earth, you got so much in heaven waiting and so much to enjoy for all of eternity. So don't measure your life just by what you have here and by what you have materially and physically because then he goes on to say, and the rich person... The rich person should actually take pride in their humiliation because he goes on to say, even if you have been blessed with all kinds of material, physical, temporal things, he says, do you realize how short-lived that is compared to eternity? Do you realize you're not going to have these things forever? That like all of us, naked we came into this world and naked we're going to go out and all of these material and physical things that somehow sometimes we measure our life by and define our life by, they're just going to be left behind and passed on to somebody else because we can't take it with us. And so James says, the person who has a lot, that's the perspective they should have, that the things that God has blessed me with, I better use to bless others because I can't take it with me and I'm not going to have it very long because he even says there at the end, of verse 11, he says, because the rich man or rich woman, rich person, even in the midst of their pursuits is going to wither away. In other words, if, if, their inve- if the investment of their life is all in the material, physical, temporal things of life, how sad to think that that's all they live for and they've got nothing on eternity's side to show for it. And that's why James includes these verses, because he's saying God's wisdom helps give us 
a true perspective, an eternal perspective. Are we living for eternity or are we just living for the here and now? And James is saying when you and I get the eternal perspective, God's perspective on things, by asking him for wisdom, then when we go through trials, we go, you know what? It's not just about this month that I'm going through this trial or these days or these weeks or even these years that I'm going. It's about God building me for eternity. And it's about what matters for eternity, not just this little piece of my life that I'm going through right here and now. It's much bigger than that. And it's not just even about me. It might be about somebody else. Maybe God is allowing me to go through this trial so that he can use me going through this trial to reach in and touch somebody else's heart in life and bring them to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what it's about. Maybe it's not, why me? Maybe it's, God, you're using me. Thank you for giving me and entrusting me with the opportunity of this trial so people can see how a Christian should handle this trial so they can be drawn to you, Christ, for all of eternity. Maybe that's what it's about. And that's what wisdom will do. God's wisdom also does something else. You notice back up in verse 4 that he talks about letting this endurance have its perfect effect. In other words, let what God wants to do in my life through this trial run itself all the way to the end, all the way to completion, which is what the word perfect means. It doesn't mean sinless. It's a word that was used to say, I'm on my way, I'm making progress to, to what the goal is, you see. And so God will have a goal in mind in this trial to bring about my spiritual maturity and my spiritual growth. But you and I, by the choices we make, we can short-circuit that purpose. We can circumvent that purpose by not hanging in there and trusting God. Because aren't all of us at times, especially in trials, looking for the shortcut, the way out as quick as possible? Instead of staying in it, we're like, God, get me out of this as quickly as possible. We're always looking for that. And James says, no, no, no. Let God give you his wisdom to see that if you just hang in there a little bit longer, that yes, relief is coming, rescue is coming, deliverance is coming, a new day is coming. But if you just trust God a few more days, a few more weeks, maybe even a couple more months, oh my goodness, what will come out of it is going to be so grand for you spiritually. Just hang in there and trust God. That's what God's wisdom does. It lets endurance have its perfect effect. It lets what God wants to do in our life through those trials get us all the way to the completed goal, to cross the finish line of the trial and go, I made it. And I not just survived it, I thrived in it. I allowed this to be an opportunity in my life for unbelievable spiritual growth, for God to draw me closer to him than I've ever been before for God to give me a tender heart, for God to give me a spiritual sensitivity and spiritual eyesight that I never had before, to help me become more empathetic and compassionate towards those around me. Whatever God's purpose was, God did it and it took. That's what James means. So James is saying, it's important, it's absolutely essential that you and I have faith. We have got to have convictions about spiritual things and especially about who God is. But know something. Every turn of our life, that faith is going to be tested. 
It's going to be tested. Something is going to come into our life, especially trials at times. And we're going to have the choice. Based upon what I know, will I consider and lead my mind to a conclusion? A conclusion like James says, consider it nothing but joy. Wow. When he says that, he's saying, don't, don't dilute that joy. Don't mix that joy with anything else. Let the full impact of God's joy just flood your soul. Again, not because the trial itself is joyful, but because you know your God so well that you know he's got you and he's got you through this trial and he's going to bring something good out of this trial that will spiritually profit me and maybe even bless countless of other people. Amen. That's really that Romans 8, 28. God working all things together for good to those that love him. That's where that really meets the road. But then, don't miss this verse. Verse 12. James says, Happy is the one who endures testing. For when they have proven themselves genuine, they will receive the crown of life, literally the crown that is life, that God has promised to all who love him. I love that verse. In that verse, there is a promise that God gives us, and I want to point out to you this morning that it's not just a future reward. It's not just a promise of future. It's, it's also a promise and a reward that you and I can enjoy right here and now. So it's both a now and not yet promise. Yes, it's about future, but it's also about right now. James is saying God promises us that if we will endure testing by continuing to have faith in God, he says, we will experience life like only a person who trusts in God can. It will be a quality of life, not just a quantity of life, a quality of life that is higher than anything you and I as human beings could experience otherwise. That's what that word life means, the crown of life, the crown that is life. And yes, that life is going to come eternally one day when you and I go to heaven to be with Jesus for all of eternity. But it's also something that you and I can experience here and now. And you know why I know that? That very first word, what's the word? Happy. He's not just talking about us being happy when we get to heaven. He's talking about the fact that you and I can be happy right here and now. Joy, happiness, right here and now. But here's the key. Notice in this passage that the emotion, especially of happiness, and isn't that what everybody wants, right? You ask 10 people on the street, what do you want out of life? I just want to be happy. What do you hear parents say, I just want my children to be happy? That, that's what people want. I want happiness. You know how true happiness comes? Don't miss this. Feelings like happiness always follow faith. Oh, let me repeat that because this is so important. I hope you get this this morning because it's something you and I, especially as American Christians and maybe even just modern-day Christians living on earth, we need to grasp this. Feelings, good feelings, like happiness, always follow faith. See, we want it the opposite. God, you give me the right feelings and then I'll follow you. 
You make me feel good about this, and then I'll follow. God says, no, no, no. You learn to follow me. You learn to trust me. And once you start taking those steps of faith, the right feelings will come. I'll bless you with joy. I'll bless you with happiness, but you've got to trust me. See, many times, even as Christians, we don't want to take that step of faith. Yet, we want the feelings. And God says, I'll give you the feelings, but feelings, those positive things like happiness, always in the Bible follow our faith. God says first, put your faith in me. Then you'll get the feelings. How sad today that we live in a world, again, where people want to be happy and they're looking in all directions to be happy. This will make me happy. This person will make me happy. This activity will make me happy. And all these things that people are pursuing apart from God. And what they don't realize is the God who created them and the God who, by his own sovereign plan, is willing to give us new birth is standing right there, not far from them, saying, I'll give you all the happiness you can stand if you just follow me. If you just trust me enough to take that step of faith. And I know, God says, that especially when trials come, you and I as human beings are faced with a choice. Will we say, no, God, I don't trust you because you've allowed this to come into my life. I'm taking the wheel of my life or the leadership of my life back over. I'm going to start running things now. I'm going to start calling the shots. I'm going to start doing things my way. And the moment we do that, we set ourselves on a terrible trajectory, not only away from God, but we set ourselves on a trajectory where we will never be able to get through that trial successfully. That trial will haunt us. That trial will define us. That trial will be a cloud and a drag over us all of our life because we never trusted God enough to get us through the trial. We took leadership of our life back from God and said, God, now I'm going to start leading my own life because I don't trust you anymore. My prayer and hope as we came to this Sunday and started this series in the book of James, especially talking about this subject matter that we were going to talk about today, I pray, God, would you use our worship time today because these songs were so strong in declaring who God is to us. I said, God, would you use our worship time and would you use our time together as brothers and sisters in Christ in your word to strengthen our faith? Because all of us, all of us, I don't care who we are and where we are in life, we can always use our faith to be strengthened. Because something's going to come into our life sooner or later that could rock our world if our faith in God is not strong. And James, the brother of Jesus, is calling us to strengthen our faith today. He's saying the reality of our life is, yes, our faith will be tested, no doubt about it. But because of what we know God to be and who we know God to be, we can actually get to a place as a Christian where we can do the impossible. 
where we can live supernaturally, where when a trial comes into my life, instead of getting bitter, I can actually get better. Instead of looking at the trial as an obstacle, I can actually look at it as an opportunity. I can actually approach that trial from this perspective. God, I count this trial nothing but joy. Amen. Nothing but joy because I know that my faith is being tested, but it's going to profit me because it's going to produce in me a spiritual endurance that is way more important than anything else I could be having produced in my life right now. That's the perspective of a, of a growing Christian right there. That's the perspective of a Christian whose faith is strong and whose faith is centered in, in the God. May all of our faith be strengthened today. Could we stand and pray? God, I, I don't know all the trials that are represented here, God, and I know that there are many. Because as human beings, it's not if we're going to go through trials, it's when we're going to go through trials. But God, I pray that today, because of the experience of being here in your house with your people, your Holy Spirit leading us, lifting up our voices in worship and praise to you, and then getting into your word, God, that our faith has been strengthened, that even though maybe we have come here this morning and our faith was weak and our faith was struggling, that God, this hour or so that we've been together, you have used it to strengthen our faith so that we can Start considering it nothing but joy when we fall into these trials. Because God, going to church isn't just about being religious and checking off a box, fulfilling some kind of duty or obligation in our life. It's about encountering you, God, the living God who loved us and saved us and reached out for us. And God, I pray today that that we again have engaged and experienced you in a way that we will leave here stronger and better than what we were when we came in those doors earlier today. And God, even now, we want to sing a song of praise and adoration and blessing and worship to you, God, that will declare who you are in this place and that will hopefully turn our hearts to you where our vision is filled with you, not with our circumstances, not with our trials, not with our troubles, but with you, God. Would you strengthen us, God, as your people? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.